0: Hey, everyone. We hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife, Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. Humans are interesting creatures. I don't know if you've come to realize this yet, but The person you're sitting next to and the people that are sitting around you are interesting. Uh, We're an interesting species. I mean, two legs, two arms, and the the way that you and I experience life is, is very interesting to me. It's amazing that as we have life experiences, we have the ability to assess, to evaluate, and to judge whatever we experience. I don't know about you, but you're always told you shouldn't judge. Well, that's nearly impossible to not judge something. And usually we just don't say it. But whenever we experience something, we always like, ah, that ain't good. Like right now, some of you are like, I wish it was warmer in here. Yeah. Uh, I wish it was colder in here. Uh, the lights are too bright or the lights are too low. Like this is just what we do. We assess, we evaluate, and we critique, and we judge, and, and we do this to each other. Uh, some of you are judging me right now. And I am not judging you because I'm a Christian. <laughs> I, I don't have those thoughts. And some of you really just need to really reconsider your existence right now. But this is what we do. I mean, we critique, we judge, like, and eh, we analyze. This is what we do as humans. This is what makes us interesting and makes us compelling. And for some of us we are like, stay away from me. I don't want to know what's going on in that head of yours. And what's even more interesting about this have you noticed or have you ever had the experience where you have an experience and it was a horrible experience, and then you will wish someone else that had the exact same experience, and they say, that was life-changing. <laughs> how many of have ever had that moment, maybe with your husband or your girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse or kids? You're like, how is that even possible? That was one of the worst experiences of my life, and you loved every second of it. Because each of us are created so uniquely and differently, we experience life, we assess life, we critique it, analyze it very differently than we do to the person sitting next to us. You know, moving here two years ago, what, what's normal for me at one point was new. All the new things two years ago are no longer new to me anymore. Like, I'm noticing this, I'm like, oh, this is just normal now. I mean, the way the stoplights run here. Uh, it, it was so new to me when I moved here, and, and the fact that stoplights are on wires and not on a post, like that was such a new thing. I'm like, oh, wow. Now I'm like, what's what, what the other way? I don't remember how it's done elsewhere because it, it's so normal to me. Uh, the road systems here, I mean, it's, it's so fascinating how one road can change, but it's the same road. It's Rutherford, and now it's this road, and I, I don't know what causes that change, and so I remember moving it two years ago. That was so new, now it's completely normal. Uh, someone described the row systems in Greenville, or uh, somebody grabbed a handful of spaghetti noodles and threw it on a map and said, that's the road systems of Greenville. They just kind of go where they need to go. There's no grid. It's all curves, and it just flows. And, and that used to be so new to me. Now it's not. It's so normal. In fact, when I go elsewhere, that's new, and this is normal. And this is what we do as humans. So we're going to do something right there. I want you to grab all your belongings. I want you to stand to your feet. Grab all your stuff, your purse, your bags, whatever it is. Now I want you to find a different seat in the room to sit in. So go somewhere else. Some of you may want to come to the front row. Some of you that sit in the back row, go sit in the front row, go to the back row. I want you to go somewhere else. Wherever you want to sit, you can sit. It's like everybody moved over to this side of the room. I want you to pay attention to what you're thinking about right now. I want you to pay attention to what's going through your mind. Some of you are not happy that we just moved your seats. Uh, That's the funny thing about church culture. We all have our spot. And some of you come early to get your spot. And if someone's sitting in that seat the next week, you come earlier the following week to make sure that person doesn't steal your seat again. This is one of the funny aspects and dynamics of church culture. But I want you to pay attention to what's going through your mind right now. Uh, I want some of you, some of you moved two chairs. <laughs> some of you just moved to the opposite side of the room, but the same space on the si- side of the room, like second row, second row. Some of you are in the back and you moved to the front, like everyone had a different experience and you just made a different decision than the person sitting next to you. But I want you to pay attention to something. This room, you now have a new perspective on this room. Where you are sitting to where you are now is a completely different angle, different perspective, different view. And now you're going to experience this environment differently than you did literally just two minutes ago by simply moving. And I want you to pay attention to that thing in you, this new perspective. Tonight, I want you to understand there are other perspectives on your story. There, are, there is another perspective on your own journey of your own life experience. If you have your bibles I want you to turn to the book of Genesis. You're going to we're going to go to chapter 25 and as you're turning there we're going to we're going to cover a story tonight. And I'm not going to be able to read every passage in the Bible tonight in this story because it's, it's actually about eight chapters long. So we're not going to cover every word in all these chapters. So for reference, if you want to go back and read this on your own, you can write this down in your notes. But Genesis 25 to Genesis 33, we're going to cover those eight chapters in a pretty broad stroke tonight. There's a couple main characters in the story tonight, and we're going to focus primarily on one of them. But there's actually a family of four. In these eight chapters, and if you, how many of you ever heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Some of you are familiar with Scripture. In Scripture, the, the essence, the the fathers of our faith, the fathers of the Judeo-Christian worldview, started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the twelve sons of Israel. And this is important because this is actually a history of our faith. And I want I want to take you back into a moment to understand a family of four. You have Isaac and Rebecca, And then you have Jacob and Esau. You have a family of four. And we're going to pick up on the story here. At the time, Isaac and Rebecca, they are now pregnant with babies, twin to be precise. And Rebecca, the mom, is noticing there's a lot of movement in her womb. Like these two babies are literally having a playground in there, or they're fighting, something's happening. And so it started to bother her a lot. So she goes before the Lord. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 25, verse 22. I want you to read this with me. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb." Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Verse 26, afterward his brother came out, his hand, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so they called his name Jacob. Let's pause right here. Do you see what's happening here? The mom is recognizing there is a war, a struggle going on in my womb. That she So much so, she had to inquire of God to find out what is going on. And it would be amazing to hear this. Imagine that. God said, because there are two nations in you. That's, that's not a very small promise. This is a significant moment. And there was such a struggle between Jacob and Esau that when Esau came out first, Jacob stuck his hand out and grabbed his brother's heel. Uh, imagine being in that moment, being the midwife in that moment, going, what is happening right now? But this is what happens. And if the, what happening was happening in the womb, it now began to happen outside. So let's read the last verse, verse 27. And the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Last verse. And Isaac loved Esau, and Rebekah loved Jacob. This right here, Isaac loved Esau, and Rebekah loved Jacob. Now we introduce what we call family dysfunction. This is where it begins right here. This family of four, which is a normal family in most regards, and then all of a sudden, Dad liked the oldest son better than the youngest, and the mom liked the youngest son more than the oldest. This is where dysfunction now entered the equation. This is what creates the narrative. This is what creates the story. This is what creates the foundation of the next eight chapters. In fact, it actually in some way is the story that started our faith. This is why we need redemption more than we realize. So Here we have, imagine being, imagine being Jacob what it was like to have a brother that your dad liked more than you. And for some of you, this is somewhat relatable because even in your own life, maybe your parents or maybe someone in life has preferred someone more than you. And so your your value system has been shaped by this reality that you're not as important or loved or as valued as someone else. And so your whole life, you got a couple options. One is you can suppress that. You can ignore it or you just embrace it and you try to figure out how to perform well enough to get the attention of your father in this situation. So Jacob grew up with this idea that my brother gets the new car, I get the hand-me-downs. My brother gets the new clothes and I get the hand-me-downs. In fact, my brother gets everything and I only get some of it. Imagine what that does to a psyche, to the emotional space of a human being. Some of you in this room, you you recognize that this might be your story. You recognize, yeah, I've struggled my whole life because I don't know if I'm actually that valuable. This is Jacob. So Jacob is raised, he is growing up in a home where his dad loved his brother more than him. But the other side of it is the mom is now carrying this unique promise. And the promise is this that I know my husband loves the oldest son, but God told me when they were in my womb that Jacob would be the ruler and Esau would serve the youngest. So here we have a promise from God. Have you ever felt like you've gotten a promise from God and you needed to help God out a little bit? (laughs) Has anybody ever done that? I've never done that. I'm just curious if anybody else has. Like the timeline doesn't match your timeline. And you're like, It's been a while now. I think I'm going to assist heaven to move on the promises over my life. And this is what we do as humans. This is why when things aren't going our way, we judge it, evaluate, analyze it. Well, I now need to be in charge. And this is what we do when destiny is not happening according to our timeline. When the promises are not happening according to your timeline. Your inner turmoil is still there after all these years. So now I'm going to take matters into my own hands. This is the scenario. So Jacob now realizes, I have to do something about this. So there comes this, in Middle Eastern culture, especially in this era, there's a couple interesting things. And one of them was called a birthright. And predominantly, for the oldest child to receive the birthright from the father. And it's hard for us to understand in a Western context. We really don't understand the dynamics of it. But it was so valuable that Jacob schemed his way to figure out, how can I get that birthright? Now, it's not in Scripture, but it wouldn't surprise me if Rebecca was behind it. Because she's like, man, we got to figure out how to get you. Because God told me you're the one that's going to be in charge. And your older brother is going to serve you. There's something called Birthright. So one day Jacob and Esau, I believe they're in their teen years, somewhere around that space, and Esau is tired, he's famished, he's hungry, and he goes to his brother, and says, hey, will you make me something to eat? And then Jacob says, I'll make you something to eat if you sell me your birthright. And Esau's like, what are you talking about? you just make me a meal. And Jacob said, no, I'm not making you a meal unless you sell me your birthright. And Esau says, fine, go ahead. So in his stupidity, in his naivety, in his complete ignorance of what's happening. He's so hungry. It's amazing what you do when you're hungry. Some of you get hangry. And then some of you just forget about anything. And this is what happens in this moment. So Esau says, fine, just make me a meal. You can have my birthright. So either he was completely ignorant or he wasn't fully aware of how powerful birthright was. So nonetheless, Jacob makes a meal and he sells them his birthright because of a simple meal. So this is the dynamic story in the beginning, and this is is what begins to take place. And it's a brilliant chess move. I mean, When you think about Jacob, if you're in Jacob's position, it's a smart move is to get that birthright off of your older brother into your space. So it's a brilliant chess move, but the problem is Jacob's heart is corrupt. It's broken. It's a result of a dysfunctional home. So he had to find a way to scheme, to connive, to deceive. And this is the big pattern that we see in Jacob's life. And we're going to look at it a few more times where deception became his big chest move. I know how to deceive anyone. And he deceives his brother in this moment. Now, in Genesis 27, if you want to turn, though, we're going to read a couple verses there. But I'm going to tell you the first part of that story, and then we're going to pick up in verse 41. But in Genesis 27, we get to this point in the story where Isaac, the dad, the Bible says that he began to lose his sight. He was going blind. And as he was losing his sight, he's getting to the end of his life. He's not dying anytime soon, but he's approaching the end of his life. So he tells, he tells Esau, hey, I want to give you my blessing. Now, if you're Esau, you're mad because you sold your birthright, but you know the blessing is where it's at. The blessing is where where your dad literally gives you the blessing of the future and the promises, the assets, the resources, the finances, everything is now yours. The blessing. And Esau goes, This is my chant. I lost my birthright, but I'm getting the blessing. And so I said, Esau, I love you, son. I want you to go out, get me, some, get me some wild game, and I want you to make a meal for me, and then I'm going to bless you. So Esau that sounds great. Well, in the side room, Rebecca, the mom, hears this. Now remember, who, how do you think Jacob got deceptive? His mom. It's amazing what dysfunction does to us. It shapes us. It forms us. This is why redemption is so important and valuable. It's why sometimes we don't think we need God is the very reason why we need God. So here we have Rebecca overhears this, and Esau goes out hunting to get some wild game, and and Rebecca goes, Jacob, now's your chance. Now's your chance to get the blessing. You have the birthright, now let's get you the blessing. And so she said, let's make a meal real quick. And Jacob's like, Mom, what are you talking about? Esau's really hairy. Like he has hair all over him. The Bible describes him that he has hair like an animal. He's that hairy. and and Rebecca goes, don't worry about that part. I've got that covered. She goes and gets animal hide and wraps his arms, wraps his neck. Every part of his body is covered in animal hide and said, here's the meal. They made a meal real quick and they bring it in. So Jacob walked into his father's chambers who's lost his sight, can't see very well, but he can still feel. When you lose one sense, all your other senses kick into gear. So Jacob goes in and and Isaac said, Esau, is that you? And Jacob said, yes, this is your son, Esau. And Isaac goes, how did you get food so quick? Jacob said, I don't know, but God's good. He brought it right to me. While Esau Esau's out hunting. And so Isaac grabs his arm and to see, is this my son? And he feels hair. He's like, yeah, this is my son. And then a couple verses later, it said that he smelled his son. And he said, this smells like my son Esau which was animal hide. Gives you an idea of how rough Esau was. Esau was a man of the outdoors. And so Esau, uh, Isaac said, this is my son. He smells like him, he feels like him, and he apparently sounds like him. So Jacob presents the meal, and then you read in the Bible where Isaac blesses his son. And it's a powerful prayer. I mean, you can read it in Genesis 27. It's dynamic. It's powerful. I mean, if you need a promise from God, just take that one. That one will make you, that one is a good one to take. And so he received the blessing, and Jacob knows he's got to get out of there quick. Why? Because his brother's coming home. He already stole his birthright, and now he just stole his blessing. So Jacob leaves and. Esau comes back, and Esau pumped. He's like, I'm going to get my time. I'm going to get my blessing. He makes the meal. He walks in. He says, Dad, I've come. Here's your meal that you've requested. And Isaac goes, I've already blessed Esau. And Esau's like, no, you didn't. That, I'm Esau. He's like, I've already blessed Esau. And then they put the two-to-two to two together and realize Esau had been deceived again by his brother. Talk about pain. Talk about despair. Talk about how would you feel in that moment if you were Esau? So Esau in that moment gets incredibly angry, and this is where we're going to pick up the story in verse 41 of chapter 27. So Esau hated Jacob. That would make sense. He hates him. Because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. Listen to this. Then Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother. What's he saying? When my dad passes, I am now going to kill my brother. Verse 42, and the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you back. Why should I bereave also of you both in one day? Now she's scared she's going to lose both her sons. So she sends Jacob to Laban, her brother's house, and said, just stay for a few days. Well, what we realize is those few days turned into 20 years. So Esau said, I'm now going to kill Jacob. Now imagine that. You've deceived, you're corrupt, you are starting to recognize that you've connived your way, you try to take God's promises, And you try to figure out how do I help God get these promises? So Jacob runs, he takes off, and he shows up to Laban. He shows up to his uncle's house. And he goes to his uncle, he says, hey, my mom sent me here. Do you mind if I hang for a few days? And he says, of course, come in. Well, while he's there for a few days, something something happens. He gets really attracted to one of the daughters. He looks at Rachel, that's her name. He said, I want her, I want to marry her. So he gets the gut to go up to the dad. Laban that hey, listen, is there any chance for me I could marry your daughter? And Laban said, you have to work for me for six years, seven years. You have to work for me for seven years to get that daughter. And and, uh, Jacob said, that's fine. I'll totally do that. He's a fugitive. He doesn't want to go home. He wants to start his own life. So he worked for seven years. And the Bible says that seven years felt like a few days. That's how much Jacob loved Rachel. So seven years goes by. He works and works, and seven years goes by. They have a wedding ceremony. The whole thing happens. And then something really interesting happened. That night, instead of Rachel being brought to Jacob, he brings the older sister, whose name is Leah, and brings Leah, and they consummate the marriage, and they wake up in the morning, and Jacob goes, wait a second, this isn't the girl I married. Now, I don't know how that happens. I mean, I don't know—alcohol involved or shroomed. I'm not sure, but something—if it's really dark, maybe just so dark you can't see—and you're like, "Well, yeah, this is her." And I don't know how this happened. Don't ask me. But it's really interesting. Imagine waking up and you're not sleeping with the one that you thought you married the night before. That sounds horrible. So he wakes up, and now he's mad at Laban. He's like, what's up? He goes to Laban and says, listen, I did not work seven years for Leah. I worked seven years for Rachel. And Laban said, listen, I'm really sorry about this, but in our culture, the oldest one gets married first. Now, I don't know about you, I'd be like, that would have been really helpful to know seven years ago. Because I would have been finding her someone else. And he said, well, what do I got to do to get your other daughter, the one I thought I married? And Laban said, you got to put another seven years for me. I would have been like, "Mm, I'm going to kidnap her and we're going to go. I would have done something else. And so Jacob says, fine, I'll work another. So he worked another seven years. What's fascinating about this is Jacob found his match. Jacob thought he was good at playing chess. Laban was better at playing chess. You see, what's interesting about our brokenness, we often run into people that are better and more broken than us. H- have you ever noticed that? You water attracts water. Like you end up around, some, if you're not careful, you'll end up around the same people that are just like you. They're better at it though. So if you're corrupt, they're more corrupt. If you're angry, they're more angry. And what happens, you begin to create an environment. All of a sudden, now you've met your match. And Jacob has now met his match. He met someone that's more deceptive, more conniving, and can play chess way better than him. I think this is an important note to make in your own life. Sometimes our own dysfunction, you'll run into someone that is more dysfunctional in that same area than you. And you thought, you could get your way, and all of a sudden, no, someone better at this than me. So the story continues, and he worked another seven years, and eventually gets married to Rachel, the one, so now he's got two wives, 14 years working for Laban. And he's like, I'm done, I'm gonna go now, I've got my two wives, I'm gonna move on. But what happened by 14 years, Jacob was an incredible businessman, incredible entrepreneur. I mean, a guy, everything he touched, which doesn't surprise us because in Genesis 27, 25, he got the promise that he would be a nation. He would be the greatest. So, of course, he's good at what he does. So, Jacob, Laban recognizes that my resources have multiplied. My estate, my flocks, my wealth has multiplied since that guy came into my world. So, he's now begging Jacob, even though he just deceived him, He begged them, please stay. Please stay and help build my wealth. I I don't want to lose you. You're my best guy. And Jacob said, the only way we're doing this is that if I get some of their wealth after I'm done. And Laban said, that's fine. And so Jacob says, fine. So what we're going to do is any spotted, speckled flock, so rams, goats, and sheep, any spotted or speckled, I get to keep. And all the other ones that are not spotted and speckled is yours. And Laban's like, that's great. Well, he does something. Jacob does something very interesting. He goes down to the watering hole where all the animals will drink. And he took sticks and he cut spots and speckles off the sticks and put them in the watering trough. And so when the animals came to water, they're drinking water, looking at spotted speckled sticks. And what happened is the spotted speckled animals multiplied way more than the one that didn't look at the spotted speckled sticks. It's one of the most weirdest, bizarre moment in this story, but one thing we can learn from that, what you look at is usually what you become. Because we're human and we experience life, we experience dysfunction, we experience pain, anguish, despair, we experience all these things, we spend our life trying not to be something. Some of us in this room are like, I don't wanna be like my dad. I don't want to be like my mom. And so your whole life, you're trying not to be like something. And I have met with so many people in the adult years saying, I have become the very thing I, I promise to never become. You know why? You were looking at spotted speckled sticks the entire time. So I want to challenge you, don't focus on what you don't want to become. Focus on what you actually want to become. So if you got a do not do list, you need to get rid of that list and create this is what I want to be. This is the kind of man, kind of woman I'm dreaming to be, not who I don't want to be. Are you guys with me tonight? Some of you've got to make a choice. Just because you believe there's a God doesn't mean you change. We've got this weird thing in our idea like, man, I believe in God so everything changes. That is not true. You just believe in God. Great. But if you wanna see life-lasting life chain it's called choice. What you choose and how you make decisions and what you choose to focus on, that's what brings lasting change. Jesus just created a way for you to make choices. One of you, got it, that's good. So I wanna challenge you. Jacob was smart, he's like, if I can get them to stare at these dick, my my flock's gonna grow. And sure enough, they grew and grew and grew for approximately six years. So now Jacob had been with Laban for 20 years. And all of this, this entire time, the thing that is hanging on his shoulder is my brother's coming to kill me. My brother's coming to kill me. Because the last words he said to me, When dad dies, you're gone. So Jacob is a fugitive. I don't know about you, but he's worn out. He's done running. And something happened in the next few chapters that we're gonna go to. I want you to get your Bible to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32, so now he's with Laban for 20 years. He now takes all of his wealth. He's now back out on his own. He has servants, male, female servants, and we're gonna read a description in a few minutes here. And Jacob is a very wealthy man. But I believe something's happening in the soul of Jacob. I believe he's beginning to recognize some of this dysfunction, some of his upbringing has shaped him and formed him to be a man of deception, to be a man of lies, to be a man that is tired. He's just tired of trying to figure this out. So somewhere in there, he thinks, I'm going to try to reconcile with my brother Esau. And this is where we pick up the story in chapter 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way And the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahinam. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob said, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now." I have oxen, donkey, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he is also coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that he were with him with the flocks and the herds and camels into two companies. Let's stop right there. So Jacob wants to reconcile. He wants to try to make things right. And in his mind, he has enough wealth to try to appease his brother. So he sends his servant to go, go tell my brother Esau, I want to meet with him. And tell him, I have this much resource. I have male, female servant. I have so much, so much herds and flock. Let him know. And he's projection. He's projecting onto his brother. What's interesting about the human structure is there was a question I would ask people often when they come to our house for dinner or, or we just hang out? I would, it's not the conversation started, but it starts the conversation. And this is the question I ask: What is the greatest fear, or what's the one thing you're scared of someone calling you? I was with some friend of mine a couple of years ago. We were having this conversation, and some friend I was with, one guy said, "I'm afraid of being called a fraud." One guy said, I'm afraid of not being smart. And I said, mine is inadequate. One of my greatest fears is if someone said, I'm inadequate or thinks I'm inadequate. So you know what I do? I project confidence. I project confidence times 10. And I want to make sure you never ever question my ability to do something. We all have this part of us that's like, what am I doing? And how am I projecting? And so Jacob in this moment realizing he's a broken, dysfunctional man. He may not even realize it yet. He knows he's at war with himself. And he's like, tell my brother I have a lot of stuff. He's wanting to project to his brother he's a wealthy man. This is what we do. We project to want people to. Why? Why do we project? We don't want people to know who we really are. In fact, we don't even want God to know who we really are. And tonight, I want to challenge you. That thing right there will drive you the rest of your life if you don't deal with it. It'll just take on different shapes and forms of how you interact with people. For some of us, we're afraid of being rejected. It's our biggest fear. So when we get this close to people, we push them away before they can reject us. Some of us are scared that we're not worth anything. We're not valuable. So we just put everything down to make sure we don't get close enough into relationship for someone to actually see who we really are. This is what we humans do, and this is why redemption is so beautiful. Jesus creates a pathway to deal with their stuff. So Jacob sends for his brother to let my brother and I got all this wealth, but he gets news back that he was definitely not expecting. And the news was this, your brother's coming to see you. Now, what would that do to you? The last thing you heard from your brother was, I'm going to kill you. So if your brother's coming to you with 400 men, what are you thinking? You're thinking, oh, this is it. This is what I heard 20 years ago, and it's about to go down. So Jacob turned on his chest mine, and he breaks his wealth into two different groups. And the reason was this. If Esau attached one, at least I I still have half of my wealth. And so the next few verses and chapters goes into this beautiful organization that Jacob goes in. he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to divide them into two companies. And then he said, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to spread out my wealth and turn it into a really long parade, a really long procession. And I'm going to send one group out with these amount of servants, this amount of flock. I'm going to send them out and then a little bit of time goes by, then I'll send another one. He wanted to show his brother how much wealth he had and project and do a procession of how much wealth he had. And somewhere in there, I think Jacob had somewhat of a moment of epiphany. He realizes he is out of control. He is trying to to deceive his brother again. And somewhere in there, something happened, and this is where we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 33, in verse 22. Are you guys still with me tonight? We're getting ready to land this plane. Genesis 33, verse 22. And he arose that night, and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. When you have this much dysfunction in life, being alone is a nightmare. I want to say something that I want to be sensitive, but I want to be pointed. If you can't stand being by yourself because of the conversations, and your soul is restless, this is an indication that God wants to set you free. If you are at war with yourself, especially when you're alone, something's broken. And guess what? God wants in that part of your life. He wants in that part of your soul. He wants to bring healing and restoration to that thing. Because if not, the stakes will just get higher as you get older. You'll start playing more crazy games with humanity because you've not dealt with this thing that's caused it. I have a feeling some of us are aware of what we do, but we're not aware of why we do what we do. And if you're here tonight and you recognize, like when I'm by myself, it's a nightmare. The conversation that goes on in my head, the conversation that goes on in my soul is, is, is terrifying. If that's you, I hope tonight gives you some sense that there's another perspective on your story. There's another person that wants to get into your story and rewrite the rest of your story. You move seat tonight because I wanted to show you something. There are other perspectives than angled on the very story that you're living in. There's another way to look at your life. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Let's stop here. He crossed over the ford of Jabbok. which, what's the difference between here and here? It's a couple feet. It's not like I left a country went to another country. I didn't go from darkness to light. I just literally moved over a line. There's something about crossing over a line. It's throughout Scripture. Elijah had to go into a cave. Why in the cave? Why not out here? I don't know, but something's in the cave. David had to go through these moments where he crossed something. And here we have Jacob, he had to cross the line. So some of us need to literally cross our own metaphorical Jabbok and be left alone. And in this moment, Jacob starts wrestling with God, which I didn't even know that was an option. I know it's like to wrestle with God in my mind, in my soul, and mentally and emotionally, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about physical wrestling. I didn't know God could wrestle. I mean, it's not, it's not out of the ordinary, but it's like, oh, I didn't know he wrestled. And what makes the story even more weird and awkward and interesting is that Jacob wouldn't let him go. And the sun's coming up, and God said, let me go. The sun is coming up. I'm like, what's that? I know the orcs, they can't see the sun, but I thought God could see the sun. I thought was, he created it, so why can't he see the sun? I mean, it's just really interesting part of the story. And he's like, let go of me. I, the sun's coming up, and Jacob is holding on. I'm like, I thought God could simply just flick him off. and everything. But no, for some reason, God entered into a human dimension and wrestled it out with Jacob. I love this. I don't understand it, but I love it because I think it's important to recognize God wants you to wrestle with him. Listen to me, God wants you to engage with him. He wants you to cross the line in your life and say, I am done running from my dysfunction. I'm done letting brokenness steer my life. I'm not leaving until God changes my narrative. So Jacob wrestled and he said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And so God looks at him and said, all right, fine. Your name is Jacob, it's no longer Jacob, which means deceiver. Now your name's Israel. And then he dislocates his hip. Okay, God dislocates hips, apparently. And it's really interesting. He dislocates his hip. Jacob's happy because he got a new name. He got a blessing. He had the birthright. He had the blessing. And now he, I mean this guy is stacked. But he recognized the other the other two were just they, they came from a place of brokenness. They came from a place of deception. But now he's blessed by God because he refused to move on in his story until God rewrites it. And some of you need to let God rewrite your story. You're at war with yourself. You're at turmoil with yourself. You want want God to rewrite that story. And then it dislocates his hip. And up until this point, when you read the story, the nation of Israel, when this story was transcribed, the nation of Israel don't eat the muscle and that part of the hip to this day in remembrance of what happened in this moment. So Jacob limped the rest of his life. He never lost the limp, but he was blessed. So here's a question for us. Are we willing to limp and be blessed? Let me reframe that. Are you willing to limp and be fully alive? Or do you not want to limp and be dead? That's the question tonight. The question tonight is this. Are you okay with limping the rest of your life so you could have the blessing of God to heal the dysfunction, the pain, the stuff you've had to wrestle with? And so the next morning, Jacob wakes up. As she was morning by then, because the sun was coming up. I, I can't wait to interview Jacob and ask him, what was that like, man? I mean, wrestling with God, I mean, did you even... Did you score any points? I mean, how did that go? So he gets up, and you can read the rest of the story in chapter 33, and instead of sending his wealth out in front, that was his game plan, to project what he wanted his brothers to see. So instead of doing that, he said, no, I'm going to go meet my brother. So his greatest fear is seeing his brother, and he had been avoiding his brother his entire life, and in this moment... I believe he is 97 years old at this point. 97. He goes out to meet his brother. And his greatest fear is running towards him. Talk about a moment of feeling raw, vulnerable. You're like, I don't care. At this point, I've wrestled with God. My name is Israel. Whatever happens, happens now. And Esau runs up to him, embraces him, and kisses him on the neck. Talk about being shocked and surprised. The very thing you're running from is now hugging you because you thought he was going to kill you. So they embrace, and, and Jacob's like, look at all my wealth. And Esau, like, I don't need anything. Jacob's like trying to give him his wealth, and Esau's like, I, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm great. And they, they have this moment of connection and reconciliation, and then they move on. And Jacob became Israel, and Israel is Israel today because of that. Isn't it amazing that the fathers of our faith had that much dysfunction and yet Jesus redeems it? I want you to understand this. This is incredible dysfunction. You don't want to start a nation out of this level of dysfunction. But God was able to take the human story and to bring redemption to it so beauty could come through it. If he can do that on this scale, I believe he can do that on this scale. So before I wrap up, I wanna challenge you. My my hope that your takeaway tonight is this. There is another author who wants to write your story, another perspective. So why don't you stand? Thanks for listening. And we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.